Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're having ongoing digital discipleship conversations about when and where the kingdom and the culture collide. Welcome to Be Transformed podcast. I can't believe where we are right now recording this episode. <laughs> Adam, can you share a little bit of what we're doing, where we are, what's the situation? Yeah, it's a beautiful situation. Uh, we are on the island of Ilavash, which is about a 35-minute boat ride off of the island of Haiti. So the country is Haiti, but the island is Ilavash, and we would be leaving from Lakai to Ilavash. So we're here. Uh, just resting. We had a great crusade. We had some good uh, equipping pastors and leaders. And so we just came to kind of get away, rest with Pastor Reginald, do a podcast, hang out, eat together, fellowship, talk. And so you may hear birds uh, in the background. And so we're sitting here actually on top of a beautiful mountain overlooking the water. And um, so that's kind of where we are and what we're up to. But I'm really excited for who we're with today. We've got the Bishop, Reginald Celestin, uh, with us today. And I love this Bishop here. This is one of my great friends. We've been walking together for about 14 years now. And uh, I met him about 14 years ago. And we've really been walking together for about 13 years. Um, and just doing trips since, I think it was 2012 together, vacationing with family, yeah. uh, getting into riots, earthquakes, getting broken down in the middle of nowhere all types of just incredible situations. Uh, and so we love you, man. We love your family. We love the work that God is doing in and with and through you guys. And we're just so honored to be a part of what is happening here. And so today we want to kind of open up the, um, the minds and the hearts of the listeners to kind of like some of the realities in which you pastor through, you lead through, um, and just the reality of actually the country of Haiti right now, kind of some of the things that are going on so people can not only have compassion, but also have understanding. So um, if you could tell me recently kind of what has been going on in Haiti and, um, you know, are we free to talk freely here? Um, yes. Yes, we are, freely to, we, are, we are free to talk freely. Um, as you, you've been to Haiti many times, and now as you see, for the past three years, two, three years, I cannot even go and pick you up um, at the airport. Yeah. So you have to pay some extra money to fly, to over. fly over from Port-au-Prince to, yeah. to Lekai, which by the way shows your heart for Haiti, because not many people are coming. So as we joke about it, I think that you are the only crazy blonde. <laughs> that will be coming. Blonde, it's white. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but we are having good times. So even though things are tough, but the gospel oh. still needs to be preached. Yep. And people are still desperate. Yes, even more desperate. Exactly. So uh, what he's referring to is a situation in a place called Martisan. Yeah. Where it's really not safe to drive through because of the kidnapping. Yeah. Now, the reality is there's been people that we know and love that has been kidnapped. That have been kidnapped. Uh, recently, uh, someone that was part of Pastor Eddie's ministry for a very long time, and someone that was the sound man on our last crusade, not this yeah. crusade, yeah. but the last crusade, his name is Gabe Air, um, 
he was actually recently just kidnapped, and he's still yeah. uh, in the custody of kidnappers. Exactly. And so um, we're praying in Jesus' name for a supernatural release um, that this man, you know, would be able to get free, because if not, it could be his life. It's, exactly, exactly. So can you explain just the reality of kind of like the life and death situation that is very uh, prevalent? within the Haitian situation at this time? Um, I can say that now the situation is not like just insecurity. It's a matter of life and death. Like you go out, your family are praying that you will come back safe. Yeah. So like um, you know me, I am always a free person. Like yeah, yeah, totally my free. movement, I want to yeah, yeah, go yeah. where I want to go. Sometimes I remember I would be sitting at the office and I would need something in Petronville and I just drive and I go to Petronville. Uh, on Sunday, I would take my family to dinner, you know, in a restaurant in Petronville and stuff like that. But for the past three years, I would never, ever, ever, ever do something like that. Yeah. So because, because you are out, you are facing kidnappings, you are facing... Um, lost bullets, yeah. because straight bullets. Yeah, yeah. bullet. Because Matisson and Fontamara, these two gangs, they were fighting for over a year. Yeah. Even though now we are facing another joke, because these two gangs, they have made peace. So, so that meaning, peace didn't happen for Gay Bear. No, be, no. The peace is, the, um, and this is the thing in Haiti. Many people they are very happy and they got trapped. Because these two gangs made peace, and these two gangs are between Kafu and downtown Port-au-Prince. So they were fighting for over a year. You would hear bullets all night long, heavy machine guns, shooting, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So the two gang leaders, they have made peace. So it's almost like a few cities, a few small, we would call them towns. They yeah, would be towns, like towns, exactly. but yeah. a few small towns are literally active war zones. Exactly. Like M4 bullets, Yeah. like heavy machine gun fire. Yeah, yeah exactly. I just want to, the, the listeners to understand, to like, understand what we're talking about. Yeah. And now the trap is they've made peace, but not with the population. They've made peace between them. Yeah. But meaning nah, it is more risky for the population because now you got... You were fighting with two separate gangs. You could avoid one. Now you are fighting against two. They become twins. So then now their focus is not each other, but it's they, on exploiting the community. Yeah, like now for you to go downtown Port-au-Prince, not from the government, you have to pay, I mean, two tolls from, from Carvalho to, to, from Carrefour to Port-au-Prince. So if you are driving, if you're on a motorbike, you pay 100 goods. If you're driving a private car, you pay 500 goods. If you are on a bus, they pay 1,500 goods. And if you are like trucks, you know, big, big, big um, yeah. transportation, you know, trucks, you, you got a contract. You have to pay something every, every, every weekend, every Saturday or every month. So meaning the gangs now. So this is actually, that's extortion. Yeah. And you if are. they don't pay, what happens? If you don't pay, anything can happen. Yeah, so they could not let you buy or they could kill you. Exactly. Depending on how they're feeling. Exactly. That you, you just go by their feelings. So you're having that situation. And the worst thing in it, in all of that, is the fact that you don't hear the government saying nothing about it. Yeah. And what they do, they avoid like police cars, 
like official cars that avoid this place. They would take a plane, helicopter. It's like now we are. You're on your own. Exactly, we are on yeah. our own. So, so the, uh, the and just for for people to understand, the purpose of civil government is to facilitate peace within the geographical borders of its authority. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's to punish evildoers and reward those who do good. So it's basically just to create basically a system of peace yeah. and justice. So it's not the government's job to feed you, you know, to send you to school or to yeah. do all these other things, but it is their job to provide a level of safety and security so that you can do what you're supposed to do yeah. to thrive. And if people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, they're punished. And for people who are doing really great things, they actually should be rewarded. This is a biblical context of Romans 13, just a very basic understanding of what is the purpose of civil government. Exactly. And so yet they are negating their role um, and their responsibility due to corruption or a lack of funding or maybe a little of both or uh, not having either the willpower or the manpower or even the uh, the weapon power to actually fight, fight this yeah. this kind of like growing sense of lawlessness, is that is that correct? Exactly, exactly. So so you have whole entire areas that are being avoided, which means anyone who's going through there or living in there is at the mercy of complete lawlessness. Yeah. Which I I don't think people. Most people cannot comprehend the reality. Like I've been coming, I think it's been the last three three years, like you're saying, and I've flown from Port-au-Prince to Lakai in a place where we used to just drive through all the time with no problems. Problem, yeah. So I think that that has to be understood. Um, and it's really, really difficult for people to understand the reality of kind of what, what is what, what the Haitian people are going through. Now, this affects fuel, fuel prices. Yeah. This affects food. Everything. This, everything. So there's not anything that is unaffected by the reality of the situation. Um, and even it affects even our services, church services. Okay. Because people are not feeling safe to come to the service at night no more. Yes. So, and secondly, because of that situation, we are having, we are losing the men, men power, the men's power. Like men, people with a little bit of money, they are leaving, they have to leave Haiti because they are looking for a safer place for their family, which is understandable. Yep. This is our responsibility, you know? Yeah. But this is affecting every single area in society. In so society. I want to ask you kind of like a, a pseudo political question because it's a human question. Is the Joe Biden thing that they've opened up the borders to the Haitian people, is that helping Haiti from your perspective or hurting Haiti? Um, from my personal point of view, from my perspective, it is hurting. I would say why. When you have a country, even if situations are bad, but we are still a country, it still has to... You have, to, you have to run a country. Yeah. Now, when you open 
um, I know what I'm going to say. Many people will not like it. Americans are going to get offended. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> no, I mean, uh -huh. even Haitians, most yeah. Haitians, because they are looking for a way out. And, they, and here I am talking, they should not be looking for a way out. It's not that. It's not, I'm not saying they should not. On the contrary, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I would not say that I encourage people from our church, but if they tell me something that they are going, there's nothing you can say. Yeah. Because they're not doing nothing. They already made their mind up anyway. Yeah. But the thing is, let's say that you are a business owner. You're trying to develop your country. And now you open your border to that anyone can apply for anyone. Even people with TPS, temporary status, they can apply for someone in, in Haiti. Now, you know, Haiti lives essentially on people sending money from abroad. From the See, this is very important. People do not, in fact, know that. Yeah. So he's saying that a, a great amount of the Haitian population lives from virtually foreign donations. Donations. From yeah. family members. Family and or friends. Yeah. yeah. You know? So <clears throat> now, a family who is sending 100, couple hundred dollars for you every month, if they find an opportunity for you to come, it's like giving you uh, a fish every day. If I can take you to the ocean to fish your own fish, you know, yeah. it will save my fish. I don't have to send you my fish, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Let me exactly. bring you to the ocean yeah. and you get your own fish. Yep. So now you are having that. Now what is happening is um, teachers, police officers, doctors, nurses, every single part of society, Mm -hmm. They have someone in the U.S. And now you are saying they are applying. I know schools that, is, that are already affected by that reality. Like let's say you are a, a school director, a school owner, and then you have a commitment with children coming to school every day. And now your math teacher just left because they have responded to, to the... The Biden thing. Exactly. Open so when I say it affects... It hurts because um, people now, their focus is, like we have a joke in Haiti, everyone is waiting for an email. <laughs> so you may be in, in a church with someone in a job, work at your workplace, and that person is always looking at their phone. They are waiting for an email because they got, you, got, you, know, you don't have to go to the embassy. So they just send you an email with the paperwork and you just take that email to the airport and you just buy your plane ticket and go. It's not even something you go to the embassy. So meaning you are like the other day, I had a, a meeting with um, some of our church people and I was telling them, I know that many of you, you, you are waiting for that email. You know? <laughs> they were laughing and many of them, they witnessed, yes. You know, I will give you one example, like my media guide. The guy who was doing the live streaming for us for the crusade. So this morning, I had to hire him. I just called him. I'm going to hire him for as much as he's going to stay in Haiti. It could be one month. It could be two months. It could be five months, you know. So I had to tell him, we need to have a contract. You will have to come and live in Cavayon during that time for you to train some other people for me. Yep. Because if you just leave, you have we have to start over. And it's yep. very difficult to find yeah. someone at his caliber, you know, yeah. that could train yeah, people. Yeah, he did a great job. Smart. Yeah. He did a great job. Yeah. So just to tell you how this thing is affecting, I have to think ahead. I have to say, okay, you are coming. We just, we just finished 
uh, uh, like a verbal contract that by, by the first week of, uh, of March, he is going to come and live in Cavaillon, you know, just to make sure that he trained like five people for me. Because let's say we are planning on starting a radio station. We need this type of qualification. People will know, will know what they are doing. Mm -hmm. So I personally, it's just like a glimpse of the real problem. There yeah. are some pastors. There are some doctors. There are some school principal. Banks will be affected. Every single realm area uh, in Haiti societies is affected by, yeah. by the problem. So for some people to get... I don't want to say freedom, but I will say a greater level of opportunity, right? It keeps, um, what that ultimately does is it really pushes the society down and back further. Yeah. That's really in a real difficult situation. Yeah. Like, I, I think that again, I hate to over, I hate to say, like, always talk about what, what happened or what's wrong. But I do that so that people understand the reality because I'm telling you, like, people don't get it. Like, I've been coming to Haiti since 2009, which is 14 years. And every time I hear a story, I'm like, what? Like, say that again? Yeah, yeah. Did I hear that correctly? And the answer is yes, you did hear that correctly. And yes, that is reality. So recently, I mean, everyone, most of the people who were listening to this probably have an understanding on some level that the president of Haiti was assassinated. There was no justice for the highest official in the country. Yeah. So that, that lets you know the reality right there that there is not a system of justice in place. That's, that's, that's one. The second thing is the current prime minister, they ran into the airport, off-duty police officers ran into the airport to try to kidnap the prime minister in broad daylight. Yeah. And this was not reported on our news. We never heard about this. Yeah. And I mean, I heard this from a man who goes to the airport who used to work at the airport. Yeah. So this is not like false and fake news yeah. or this is not, you know, this is not an exaggerated story uh, for donation. This is yeah. the straight reality of what the people are going through. So there's difficulty just on every level. There was a gun battle in Carrefour not too far from where you guys, yeah, yeah. where your church is. Exactly. Across the street. Yeah. So, so for example, for the people who have uh, generously gave to the, the prison feeding situation, um, there were gang members in um, kind of like a parade yeah. for carnival yeah. who were recognized and arrested and then the gangs came and began to fire on the Haitian, um, kind of like what would be their Marines. Yeah. And this is right across the street from the police station while this is happening. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And those people that we were feeding are literally inside the building. So, so, and that is literally across the street from where you pastor yeah, a church. exactly. See, it's like I want people to understand the, the proximity the guy that literally set up your whole entire sound in the church yep. was just kidnapped. Like, this is a very, it's, it's close. It's not far away. It's not like in, 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 it's very, very close. And so we, we have to also be praying for, you know, Pastor Reginald's um, protection, the protection of just his wife and children and, and the protection of his team and, and people uh, in the church because 
this is a very, very real situation. Now, besides all that, can you give us just some of the practical uh, challenges that you would face pastoring in Haiti and leading in Haiti? Because you're, you're building uh, stuff, you're building people, um, you're moving a lot. Just, just speak to, if you can, some of the realities and some of the challenges with building and with pastoring. Because I think that, that that also helps people connect to what's yeah. happening. Yeah, so um, the reality is nothing is settled. It's yeah. not like you know what something will be or what something is. Prices are changing every single day. Okay. From the time that we started building the well to right now, what was the price difference in, in bags of cement? Um, in bags of cement, it has doubled. 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 But in um, sand and gravel, it has tripled. Tripled. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Yeah. yeah. So when you are doing something, it's tiring because you start something with a budget and you keep on adding, adding, yep. adding, which is not good for business. Yeah. Let's say you are dealing with business people, so it's not good for them. And if someone doesn't come to Haiti to witness firsthand. They think you're stealing. Yeah, they will think yeah. that you are stealing. But for you, like for you, you come and you see the yeah. price of the gas. I show you the counter. Like the government put 514 goods a gallon. No. You are buying it five, 750 goods with the same, you know, with we've, the counter yeah. of the government. We've spent, so we've been here since the 20th. We're leaving tomorrow, the 25th. We've spent over $900 yeah. just on renting a uh, SUV and gas. Gas, yeah. Only what, four days? Yeah. I mean, and we have not drove more than a 35, 40 mile trip. Yeah. At all. Exactly. In fact, we're, we're 14 miles from the island of yeah. Haiti. We're in Lakai, and then we're another 15, 20 miles. So it's, it's not even like we're driving five, six, seven hours. Um, that's, that's the reality. So, so people have to be able to understand that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's unexplainable. It's not something that can explain you yep. unless you are really in it because you are seeing the price changes. You are seeing the, like every, every day. It's not like it's something you buy it five, $5 today and you can rely that tomorrow it will still be five, $5. It could be six, it could be seven, it could be 10. You know, yeah. which we understand because let's say, you know, Haiti, everything is concentrated in Port-au-Prince. Like for us in the staff department, you have to go through Matissa, you have to go through the gangs, and the gangs are asking you to pay. So let's say I am a businessman having a business in Lakai. I, I, uh, there is a certain price that I pay to get the product. Now, if I am adding transportation, now I have to add paying the gangs. So the people who are paying for that would, is, is the customer. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's the same thing for the gas, for the, for, the, for the sand, for instance. We used to buy one square meter of sand for 1,800 goods. Now it is 4,000 goods. Yeah. 
more than double. We used to pay 11,000 goods for transportation, now it's 25,000 goods for transportation. Yeah. So you are seeing all that happening, which make things, which make, like, it's slow. Yeah. Because sometimes even for you to get the goods that you are buying, you have to wait because there is there is problem on the street. There was a gas problem. There is this, there is that, you know, it's yeah. very difficult, which affects pastoring because now you are pouring yourself into people, even though you don't own them, but at the same time, you will lie somehow. Let's say you are a pastor, you will lie on prayers and worship leaders. You will lie on musicians. You will lie on workers. Yeah. Like you are pouring out into people, you don't know how long they will be there. It's a constant starting over mm. with new people. And you know how tiring it is yeah. if you are having a baby every year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at least you, the baby, you are waiting for the baby to grow. To get grow. potty trained. Yeah. So that's the same thing we are facing in pastoring now. So would you say pastoring is a lot like parenting? Um, yeah. Is it accurate to say that pastoring is many times like babysitting adults? To me, yes. Pastoring most of the time is babysitting adults. <laughs> I have a friend, he's, he's, uh, he's with the Lord. His name is Scott Persley. He said, pastoring is like herding snails. <laughs> <laughs> Just because we change slowly, yeah. you know, as yeah. humans. Um, so what are some basic challenges that you, you face um, as it relates to pastoring um, through poverty and in poverty? Pastoring through poverty is the fact that you are not just a pastor. Let's say that you are witnessing the problems and the issue every day. You imagine, you got people from your church, you don't see them in couple services. You meet them and you try to talk to them and they are telling you, I couldn't come to church because I don't have a pair of shoes. And it's not like someone is trying to make something out of you, it's real. You are pastoring people, you got kid, their kids cannot even go to school. Like you are seeing them on the street and you're not like a pastor living 50 miles, 100 miles from them. You're living right there with them. So meaning you're not a pastor on Sunday. You are every single day pastor. Your pastoring is 24 seven. Yeah. You are the only one for a car, someone has a problem, the first person they will call, it's you. They have a problem, like a dead, someone died in the family. They are not just expecting you to do the funeral. They're expecting you to cover with them the price of the funeral, you know? So I always say like, if you're not, I don't see how someone can be in ministry in Haiti if you are doing real ministry and not being called. Yep, like, where you are. Uh, I have a friend, he said, if ministry was a contract, I would not renew it. <laughs> After yeah. one year, I would not renew yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, people are like, do I have a calling? It's like, you don't have a calling. A calling has you. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, exactly. It's like, a calling is like a hostage situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's amazing what you do. I love you. I have a lot of respect for what you're doing. Um, so we recently did a pastor's conference, you know, and, you know, the level of questions is indicative of where people are at in yeah. their life. It, it's yeah. a, it's a, my, my pastor taught me that 
David Greco taught me that your language locates you, and I've always added to that. Yeah, and so do your your questions locate you too. Yeah, and so the level of questions that we receive at the pastors' conference, you know, honestly, was a little bit, actually, a lot uh, heartbreaking in the sense of one of the questions we got is, can women wear skirts? Uh, can women wear pants and jewelry? And you know, the metaphor that I gave to them was, I said, imagine if your house is on fire, are you worried about your carpet? You have an unemployment rate of over 70%. You have incredible instability everywhere. A president that was assassinated with no justice, people starving, people hungry, and we're gonna worry about, can a woman wear pants? Like, that is absolutely the last thing that matters as it relates to the reality that the people are going through. And if this is the type of thing that the pastors and leaders are thinking about, that's really, really dangerous because you have people who are in a burning house and yeah. they're worrying, are you going to put pants on when you come out of the burning house <laughs> <Yeah>. or a dress? <laughs> like, yeah. that's a problem, you know? Yeah. And so um, for you, it's it's really, I know I saw, I saw the difficulty, you know, on your face listening to those questions in the sense of like understanding where your people are in the midst of the situation of the country and, and just our hope being in Jesus, but also having to address the realities that we live in and not trying to use faith to escape those realities, yeah. but actually using faith to go through that and break through that and do something about that and have something to actually offer to the community instead of just yeah. almost using faith to escape. I think that many times people use faith as an escape system. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's just um, incorrect biblical teaching that reinforces that. So you feel justified and righteous in your desire to escape instead of bring kingdom transformation. Um, so I, to me, the escape mentality the victim mentality and a poverty spirit all go together. Yeah. So you have the experience of reality, you have incorrect biblical doctrine uh, kind of enforcing that, and then you have the socioeconomic reality that runs through all three of these things. And so we have to be able to see what is happening and see how can some of that shift. Personally, I think that... Um, if the pastors and leaders don't have a biblical worldview, then you're in real trouble. And I think that that would be one of the things that if I could say, what could you address in a systemic level? I would say that we'll start at the church with a biblical worldview for pastors and leaders. Because if people don't even hear a biblical worldview, they have no chance at deciding to to believe it and then live from it. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's something. Now, do you, do you, would you say that most people in churches do not have a biblical worldview? Um, in order for them to have a biblical wor worldview, the pastor first should have it. Yep. Because they are thought from someone you cannot give what you don't have. Yep, yep. And this is why we have more religion in Haiti than relationship. So all the questions that you were just talking about, they are coming from their religious perspective. 
Yes. Because now this is doctrines. Yep. And people are more, you know, when you are um, a religious person focusing yep. on your doctrine, so you are blind to any other reality. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like um, you are a woman. Yeah. I, I Even like, Jesus said, it's like the blind leading the blind. I yeah. Mean, that was what actually he said to the religious leaders of his day. Exactly. Exactly. And my, my pastor put it, to put it like that. He said to, um, you know, like blind um, leading blinds. It's impossible. I could apply uh, um, um, leads another blind man. And he said something that stick with me for that will stick with me forever. He said, in order for a blind to lead another blind man, you just need a very bold blind. Because let's say you are sitting by the street and someone say, let's go. And you don't see. There's no way you can see the one telling you, let's go, doesn't see. That's how blind leads blind. So what you guys are talking about is having a, a sound theology of justice, right? When you say biblical worldview. Bigger than that. That's only a part of it. That is a big part of mm -hmm. it, but having a, having a biblical worldview. In, in other words, uh, we are defining the world that we live in and the way that we live in that world from Scripture, but in its proper context. Mm -hmm. okay. You, you yeah. get, get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so yes, that involves justice and involves mercy. It involves peace. It involves what is the biblical role of a husband? What is the biblical role of a wife? Um, what are the requirements of church leadership? When should someone be removed from church leadership? It's bit, how do we relate to money? It, so it, it touches every area of life. Yeah. Um, like every area. Yeah, exactly. So now you have um, many people in ministry. We have a glimpse of the Bible. We don't even manage, we don't even master it yes. to understand it, to comprehend yes. it properly. Yes. And sometimes it has to see with who, is, who has been your pastor, who has been your spiritual leader. Because if you're not open to learning, you will base your whole theology on what you've been taught. And if the person who taught you ha got it wrong, because the person who taught him got it wrong. You go all the way up. Yeah. So now you got a generational misunderstanding yep. of the Bible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is dangerous. Yeah. And also historically, the Bible has been misused. You know, like people use, they misused, uh, I'll give me an example, uh, Genesis the ninth chapter, mm -hmm. the curse of Canaan. Yeah. That's not a curse on all black people everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but that that is something that was misused and exploited. It is incorrect. In our church, I just did this message on we all came from one blood, Acts 17. Yeah. Uh, when Paul is speaking at the Areopagus in Greece, and he's basically, the philosophers say, that that sermon and Paul the Apostle actually rescued philosophy. Yeah. And, and we have a philosophy in, in terms of why we do what we do or how we do what we do. Many times people cannot articulate their philosophy, but they have a philosophy. You yeah. hear it when someone goes, yeah, I got something so cheap, it's great, and then it breaks next week. Or yeah. you hear someone say, you know, I bought this because of that. There's a philosophy there behind it. Many times people can't communicate it or articulate it clearly, but yeah, that doesn't yeah. mean there's not a philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's a philosophy of life that is Christian 
that is biblical. So this is kind of what we're talking about. We all came from one blood. Um, so I was just talking about the African contribution to the scriptures. You know, Ephraim, you know, first of all, God created, um, you know, Adam from, from the dust of the earth. Dust isn't white. Yeah. <laughs> you know, scientifically speaking, from brown you can get white. From, from white you cannot get brown. You know, yeah. we see in Haiti albino people that are whiter than me, and yeah. they came from parents that are that are black, black. black. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like, and w when we say black, we really mean brown. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, so so you know, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were half Egyptian, which is African. So even from the twelve tribes, you have African. African, yeah. So from the very beginning. The heart of God was for all of the families of the earth. Genesis 12 was for all of the families of the earth. So it wasn't just for Israel. It just wasn't just for America. It's for, yeah. all, you know, it's for all of the families of the earth. And so we, we had to kind of teach on some misconceptions. People don't know uh, the Gospel of Mark. That was written by an African bishop uh, who was the, bishop of, the founding bishop of Alexandria. Um, Simon of Cyrene from Libya. He's the yeah. one who carried Jesus' cross. cross yeah. The gospel went to Ethiopia in Acts 8 before it went to Rome, uh, or, or, or the centurion, the Roman centurion in, um, you know, uh, what's his name, Cornelius in Acts 10. So there, there's just things that, that, that are not, if they're not historically understood and honored, you know, one of the things I also taught was Christianity was whitewashed uh, during the Renaissance. Why? Because the Renaissance were the people that created the art. The arts were like the way the media is today. That's what the arts were Was then. then. Yeah. So whoever has, whoever has the money makes the rules. Exactly. And whoever makes the rules and has the money tells the story. Yeah. And so it's important to go back to the historical accuracy of what actually happened how it happened, because it dignifies other people groups that are left out of the story, that actually are the beginning of the story. The like story. the Bible doesn't have the Bible has hardly any white people in it. Yeah, maybe Pilate, <laughs> maybe a few of the like. This yeah. not this is not a white book. Yeah, you know. So so you go you go to you know in in America you go to the hood and they're like Bible you know Christianity is the white man's religion and that's actually not historically accurate. Yeah. White people may have misused the scripture, the scripture yeah. but that doesn't mean that it's a white man's thing. It's yeah. kind of like if I take a computer and use it as a hammer, that, that's not its purpose. And yeah. So that, that's, gonna, that's gonna be damaging. Um, so I think that all these things are important. I think um, having a biblical understanding of who am I, where am I from, what do I exist for, I think that that's helpful, and I think that poverty steals dignity, and it, and it works to undermine the purposes of God in us being created in His image and likeness to be stewards of the earth and contributors to God's world, um, and it's, it is just a vicious, vicious thief that is just dehumanizing in every way. So, um, with all that being said, like, what other... What are some of the other challenges that you face as it relates to pastoring and building? Um, you know, as I said, the fact, like, let's say you are pastoring. Okay, let me put it in the context of your surroundings before we go into your 
what you know what you are doing. Yep. When you have your surrounding with that type of mentality, and they don't have a biblical worldview of the of Christianity. Yep. So whatever you are doing is so different that you are like a threat to what they are preaching, and they are afraid that their people they don't want their people to be exposed to your teaching because you may be teaching the right doctrine you remember right can be wrong to people who are used to to wrong yes you know yeah so now you come and you're trying to do to like i'll give you an example i remember um we had the we had a crusade after the earthquake in cavaillon and then um, we had a dinner with the pastors before we had the pastors' conference we yep. just had together. And uh, I hear one pastor talking about the first crusade that we had. And he was complaining because one person was singing a rap song, a Christian rap song. Yep. And he's saying that we need to stop these things. These pagans, they just come and sing their song on the platform, blah, blah, blah. We need to put order. And the pagans he is talking about is my assistant. Is my associate, <laughs> and here I am sitting in the in a in a meeting that we put together. You fed everyone. Yeah, <laughs> and they're complaining about your people yeah. as you fed them. Welcome to the ministry. Yeah, and they don't even have they don't know, you know. So now they are fighting over that, but we not even they're not even talking yeah. about are we going to do it together are we going to contribute to do this so they are just talking about one person a, a, an eight day crusade miracles several people got saved demons cast out people got healed and the only thing that stick to his mind is someone came and he sing mm. he was singing rap songs just to show you uh Difficult it is. Yeah. Now, While people are going to hell and living in hell, yeah. that's what we're talking yeah. about. And what brings you to a position, there is not much you can do together. Because unless two people agree together, they, can't they, really can, walk, yeah. they can walk together. So and this is the main thing. We try to do things together, but we know for sure that we don't have the same priority. Our priorities are not online. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult, difficult to do things um, with people. I personally, um, I don't consider like major difficulties what I'm facing with the church that I'm dealing because as the leader, I'm the one who, put, who need to put things straight. In order. In order. Yeah. But now it's when you are dealing with people that it's not your responsibility to put them back in order. Yes. Which brings you to, a, to, I know many pastors and I understand them, they have the tendency of going alone because you go, they, they go faster and last longer alone. Like I used to tell people from our church, make sure that if I call you to help me, you don't end up dead and I have to carry you too. You know, it's like I'm carrying something heavy and I ask you to help me and you get sick. Now I have to worry about what my load and yours. And yours. And, and even you as a Lord, you know. <laughs> so so yeah. this is what you are facing. You are, we are doing a crusade. And you saw that in that conference where we spoke about so many vital and deep things. And the question has to see with nothing that we talk about. Yep. The question yeah. has to see with all the things that they had in their mind. And they cannot even stop themselves. Mm. from asking those sorry for the for the expression stupid questions yep yep nonsense questions yep. non-relevant questions you know yeah yeah so this is to me 
that's the biggest challenge because I am calling, this is my desire to work with people, to lift people up, to mean not just people from our congregation, but pastors, ministers, you know, other stuff mm. like that. To the, the ministry of a bishop. Yeah, I want, I want them, like I want people to be served, but to be well served. Yeah. It's not like just jump the food in front of me, mm. make me feel that I'm a dog at least make me feel that I'm important, that I'm a person. And as you could see, yeah. during that conference, the people who came, they feel, they feel like they are well received. The food was, the, the setting, yeah. the food was good, you yeah. know. So these are the things that we, 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 need, to, we need to fight. And, you, and we need, uh, um, this is a big challenge for me. You, you, you saw that um, we asked all the pastors to come in front to lay hands on people and yeah. all of them they just stood in front without praying for people they yeah. were just you know yep. so no one was laying hands really <laughs> yeah, praying yeah. for people yeah. da, da, da. and i know that imagine if the two of us are praying for people what could happen now imagine if 10 15 people yeah. pastors anointed yeah. men of god yeah. are praying for people what yeah. could have happened but they are not into that because they got other priorities. Some of them may be afraid because they, it's not part of their doctrine. They don't lay hands on people, you know, depending on their background. Some of them may be afraid is their life is not straight. Some people would not want to receive from them. And they know that you are, you are, facing, multiple you know, you are facing multiple realities yeah. that you need to, to consider when you are doing things, yeah. doing things like that. So to me personally, that's the biggest challenge. You know, throughout your experience, throughout your life, You've got some experiences. You would like to share it freely with people. But the big question is always, are they ready? Yep. Do they really need what you are offering? Yep. And what's the point of giving something to someone that they don't care, they don't need it? Yeah, they don't see the value of they it. They don't even see the value of it, yeah. you know? So that's one of the, that's, one, that's a big challenge for people, for someone like me. And the second challenge is with, within our church, within churches, it's the fact that, you are trying to give people the best, but they are still going after what they know. Like I always say, in Haiti, people, they may not know the Lord, but they know religion. Every single person. They may have never stepped foot in a church, but they know what every Christian should do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's classic. Yeah, so they know. You would go... Imagine you are the pastor, and some people are telling you, "Should the way you do it, it's not the way you should have done it." You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like they know better. They know better. Inexperienced experts. Exactly. We have yeah. that in America. Yeah. Too. People but, can tell you how to do something they've yeah. never done in their life. It's a growing exactly. population. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So you are you are you are facing that all the time. You know, like you are trying to give the best. You are trying to train. You are trying. And you got people, they don't care about what, they just want to do what they want to do, you know, because they think that they know. So that's why I always say that I'd rather start a church with all non-believers than having, I mean, membership transfers. Yeah. Like I even tell people that I have some people who came from other churches and they are asking me to do this, to do that, 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 that. and I told them, you know what, I am not your pastor. I was not your pastor, and I will never be your, your former pastor. And I don't even know if I love him, you know, <laughs> like to be like, to want to be like him, yeah, you know. Yeah. So don't try to look for your pastor in me. I'm different than him. 
Yep. If you come here, you come for something fresh, something new. Yep. Don't don't try to force yeah. your former life, spiritual life into here. Into here. Yeah. You know. I guess some things are the same in Haiti and America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot no, of... people are people. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their yeah. skin color may change, but they not be the same. Yeah. But inside, we have the same color blood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, color we do. blood. Yeah. yeah. So these are these are the the these are very challenging. Mm -hmm. And also, when you are doing that into poverty, let's say that you are you you are pastoring a church. You need couple gallons of gas every week. Let's say if you need one, like in Cavaillon, we need like one gallon of gas for every service. So the gallon of gas, let's say it's a thousand goods, it's six thousand. Like we would need two on Sunday. That's four thousand gallons of gas a week, which is eight thousand goods. Is it that right? Four hundred. It's like twelve dollars. Yeah, no one one, one gallon would be like uh, twelve. 15 US. Yeah, okay, we need two gallons, one gallon on, on, one, on Tuesday, one on Thursday, and two on Sunday, probably one on Saturday for practice. So let's say we need five gallons of gas. So five gallons of gas is 5,000 goods. And you go to the, uh, the offering on Sunday is probably 1,000 good. If it is 1,500 goods, it's a good day. It's a blessed day, you know? <laughs> so meaning the church You're upside can, down. Yeah, the church cannot even support. Yeah, so let me explain to people who are listening, <laughs> what is the purpose of gas? Without gasoline, there's no generator. Without generator, there's, there's no, no sound, there's no power, there's no lights, there's no mm -hmm. nothing. We had a pastor's conference, we had another small hidden fee of $80. What was the hidden fee of $80? <laughs> the hidden fee of $80 was so that we could use a microphone at a church, church yeah. because they don't have power. So there's multiple levels <laughs> of complexity yep. that, that is just incomprehensible. And then we went for, I guess it was an extra 1300 for the crusade. And then uh, the music ministers needed an additional $200 because yeah. they don't live for free, which I understand. Yeah. So now what was 13, became 15, 15 1580, you know, then you throw gas. So it's, 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 it's just important just for people to understand the reality. Because I'm telling you, most people wouldn't have a clue. Because they got for granted everything that they have. Yeah. And it's not that they're bad. It's just that yeah, yeah. that's the reality that they, they live they don't, in. They just don't know it. Yeah. They just don't know it. It's like for you, um, being on time, it's, it's something, you know. Normal. Normal. Yeah. It's easy for you. Yeah. And but, I'm a pastor, so I have to actually be early. Yeah. But you know, in Haiti, being on time, it could be a luxury. Yeah. There are too much imponderance. So at, yeah. the, at the pastor's conference, um, one message you guys are talking about, I saw really hit in a challenging way, but I think it struck a nerve, is this whole idea that poverty starts internally. It's not external. Yeah. Just for our listeners, can you just share a little bit about that? Because I think that's just universal. It's not just a Haiti thing, but... You know, I think just to get into that mentality, what that means, if you could share a little. Yeah, so it started by me saying to them that poverty is a uh, reality, but it's also a mentality. And it's actually, to get victory over it, you will get victory over the mentality before you get victory over the reality. So poverty... Uh, our, my spiritual father, Steve Stewart, says poverty is not a lack of resources, it's a lack of opportunity. Opportunity always starts within 
for you being able to see what is before you. So when you view everything from a position of lack, your first thought and your first word to yourself on the inside is we don't have it, we can't do it, it won't work, we don't have enough. And a miracle, and you look through the Gospels, miracles always start with problems. Every, Jesus, every miracle Jesus did started with a problem. So in the kingdom, I teach people, we don't have problems, we have opportunities. But when you have grown up in lack, the pain and the frustration and the trauma and the disappointment of that gets woven into how you see the world and how you respond to the world. So from your perspective, Bishop, how can people break free from that experience, that reality, that trauma? How, how, how does, how did, I'll just say, how did you overcome it? Because you don't have that mentality at all. You don't have that mentality. Mean, I, mean, I, I mean, I remember, and this is between... You know, this is kind of a personal thing, but I can share it because he doesn't lose his reward if I brag about him. But I remember there was a time where him and I did a conference together and he, you know, he, it's like almost we, go, we went half on it. Like, that's unheard of. Like, for a Haitian to go half with an American on a conference, that's virtually unheard of. Right or wrong? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. So, so you seeing the value in what we're doing together and even being willing to invest in it, that's very, very radically different than the the mentality of okay you know it's like a handout everything's a handout versus actually you're participating yeah so you know you cannot overcome something unless you realize that it's there the main fight now <laughs> is to get them to understand that they have the spirit of poverty we may be saying it saying it saying it it's like telling someone, if you don't do something, your house will be on fire, and they don't see what they are saying. That's why we are, like I, I, would, I, I used to tell people, if I would be a doctor, I don't want to be a curative doctor. I want to be a preventive doctor. I would prevent things to happen than to cure them. You know. Yeah. So this is what is happening with many people. We don't even know that we have a poverty spirit. And this is not something that has to do with having money or not. You may be rich. You may have resources and still poor in your yeah. spirit, in your yes. mind. Yes. You know. So um, the thing is, for me personally, since my youngest age, I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a multimillionaire because I grew up in a very poor family. I always say, since I was born, I never know my father. My mom died from epilepsy when I was seven, seven years old. So I've witnessed from the beginning when I was very young the what difficulties. the difficulties and the devastation of poverty. But you don't, you don't wear that at all? Um, no, simply because I started, remember, I started in ministry very young. I started when I was 17, 18. So meaning that I've been fighting it for 20 years, 25 years, you know? So um, I remember for me to go to school when I was in high school, every morning I would just get some bread and coffee, coffee. a tass of, uh, a cup of coffee, yeah. you know? And I remember one day I was seated at a table having that. I have a friend that I would go to pick up to go to school together. That guy would have fried eggs, you know, and you have to wait. And as a, as a I mean, young man, I was looking at him. To me, you are, he has, his parents had success. His father was living in the U.S. and stuff like that. And I remember one day I was seated at the table and I told myself, I promised myself that my children will never have to drink that to go to school. 
I promised myself that. So that's why when I was in, ele- I mean, at 11th grade, I had a scholarship, I, I had paper scholarship to go study theology in Jamaica, and I denied it because I didn't want to do nothing with, I mean, pastor, past, being a pastor. Because pastor. you thought you'd have to be broke. Yeah. Because everyone that I knew, they were very broke. And this was not the <laughs> Remember, life that I Remember, I'm myself. glad I grew up in a church where the pastor had multiple Mercedes <laughs> and he gave away buildings and cars and watches. So I grew up around winners. So I was like, I, I don't mind being that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but let me say something to you, man. It's really interesting. Like, the, the, So those challenges that you faced were actually things that God used to form you yeah. But for your assignment later. Yeah. So even though God did not send that devastation, the loss of parents. Now look yeah. at how many children you bless. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so it's really fascinating how good God is even in the midst of really bad situations. Yeah. Sometimes so your God. ministry comes from your misery. Yep. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, since that time, since I was young, I already saw myself prospering. So, I, I mean, I wanted God. Yeah. I wanted ministry, not to be full-time ministry. My goal yeah. was to make lots of money. And give people and money. And give people. That was my goal, churches, too. Build churches, build hospitals, you know. Stuff that was like my goal, that, too. But not full-time, yeah. Yeah, that was my goal, too, because the perspective of it was I want to be left alone. And I want to give on my own terms. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't want to be bothered by people. Yeah. I want to help people but not be bothered by them. Exactly. Um, it's interesting. I just remember when, when God called Pastor Eddie to ministry. Remember that? Did he ever tell you the story? No. So God called Pastor Eddie to be a pastor. And he said, I cannot. I'm not fat enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we always have these ideas of that, what a pastor is, yeah, what a pastor is in, yeah. what a pastor can be, <laughs> what a pastor can have, you yeah. know. <laughs> anyway, go Exactly. Ahead. So I've been fighting against that spirit. I wanted to say one thing to you, too. The Muslims and the Jews do not have that mental hang-up. No. Jews and Muslims take care of the rabbi and the imam, they're very well taken care of. Yeah. You go to uh, Greek Orthodox churches, they're very well taken care of. Christians have that, that apprehension. It's very interesting how the truth is misrepresented to people who are supposed to represent it. Yeah. Causing them to be apprehensive about it. Yeah. So that's how you know it's not, it's not God. Exactly. It's really not from God. Exactly. And to me, like, I wouldn't, I'm just going to be honest, like, I wouldn't want to, I'm glad I grew up in a church where the pastor was a winner. If I would have grew up in a church where the pastor, in my opinion, was a loser, that would have really brought hurdles to me mentally. Like, in our world, the pastor was, like, the biggest guy in our world. You know what I mean? In our little nucleus of reality, like, they they were hugely generous. They, They took in battered women from the street. Yeah. They gave away Mercedes Benzes, Rolex watches, yeah. buildings. They took kids and sent them to baseball camp. They yeah. did. So I'm, I'm really glad that I grew up with that construct. So I didn't have the construct of a pastor has to be a loser. Yeah. So that, that, uh, and that's exactly what had happened to me until I met my pastor. Yep. You know, coming from the same background as me, growing in a very poor family, you know. And he started to bring changes to our community. 
he went, he studied in, the, um, in, the, in Jamaica, and then he spent some time in the U.S. He had the change of mentality, and he mm -hmm. just brought it. But he got severely abused, uh, accused, like many pastors wanted to throw rocks at him because he was too different, you know? So he married the Jamaican women, so they brought, so this is how I understood that I need to learn English early because um, growing, yep. being, you know, growing poor and you wanted to learn to read and you don't have money to buy the very expensive French material. So English materials were very, very, very cheap. More accessible. So I had to buy, I had to learn English just to feed that appetite in me to read See, to know more. Mm. See, this goes into what we were also talking about at the pastor's conference, which they're not used to hearing from a white guy. But I asked them, where did Creole come from? And Creole was the language that Haitians spoke under slavery. They, they are free, but still have not changed that language. That language isolates them because no one in their region really speaks that language. So if they would adopt English or Spanish, they would be able to communicate more freely to do business more freely. So communicating, no matter what anyone says, is one of the direct things that that lets you know how much money you can or cannot make. You will never exceed financially your ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. yeah. Never. Yeah, exactly. So this is when I started to, to do that, to fight against it. And I wanted so much more because I had a business mentality. I wanted, I know in order for me, as since I was a, um, a child, I knew that if I would have to, the, the first house that I would have, I would have to build it. My first car, like everything, I would have to, you know, come up with it because yep. I would have no inheritance. I had no father, no mother. No one owes me. That's why I grew up with a mentality that no one owes me nothing. Mm -hmm. Everything that someone gives me, I am happy because, you know, it's a gift because I have no one that I say, you owe me that. You have to give me that. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. So I had to build up myself first. Mm -hmm. And see, that, that's interesting because a spirit of poverty also carries with it a spirit of entitlement. This is why mm -hmm. even in America where poverty is not many people's reality, it is some people's reality, and I don't want to be insensitive to that, but it's, it, there's many people, like Reginald was saying, that do not, are not poor, but have a spirit of poverty. Entitlements yeah. is a spirit of poverty where they demand something for nothing. It's exactly. a lottery spirit. Yeah. And it exactly. leads to poverty. When you look at lottery, lottery is always in poor neighborhoods. Yeah. And I said, per, I, I, I have a joke. I tell people, um, someone once asked me if you ever play lottery. I said, if I would, do, if I would be into lottery, I would be the owner, not the player. <laughs> <laughs> because the owners are, they are all, you know, in Haiti, lottery is like one person. Yeah. It belongs to one person. It's not mm -hmm. like a system. Um, it's not like and what a system. happened to him? Rich. That like the owner would be extremely rich. I'm sorry. No, no, no problem. What? Let me. I'm gonna start back so he can re-record that. Yeah. 102. Yeah. What happened to the owner of the lottery? They are rich. No, but the guy in Carrefour. Oh, they killed him. They killed him. In he, what? Um, he got himself into politics. And he was a, a real straight guy against what is happening in the country. Mm. And uh, yeah, they killed him inside of his bulletproof car. Yeah. You know? So here's what people don't understand. The Bible says that you have to work. And people just think that they can outbeat the worker. 
yeah. by trying to get his money. Let's say I, like someone who owns a, um, a, lottery, a lottery business, they work a lot. They have to build, they have to think, they have to do accounting, yeah. they have to do, they are, it's not, that's their job, that's their, yeah, yeah. and now you just think you come and then you try to get their money like that. What they don't understand, in Haiti, our lo lottery has 100, you got, there is um, 100 um, possibilities, only three of them. You got, your, your chance is that only three succeed. Mm. So you got three chances, you got 97. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So even if he pays out, he wins. Exactly. Yeah. There's no way that he can lose. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and people poor, poor like poor mentality. They don't want to work. They just want to get things overnight. Like you, you, you go to bed poor and you wake up rich. <laughs> you know. Sounds good. And I would never, <laughs> I would never forget when my pastor told me. I mean, not my pastor. I was reading a book from Ogmendino. And he said, the only way to start on top is to dig a wall. If you're not digging a hole, there's no way you can start on, on, on top. So whenever you try to stop on top, it's because you are going down. <laughs> you better stop at the bottom. That's why I was very excited when you said God, is, God well, always starts, starts on the bottom. On the, you know? <laughs> so, Which is good news if you're on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many people, that's what we are saying. And I, I really like something you talk you, you said about relationship, about trust, because many people they want to have what you have without that. It's like they see you 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 It's like you the have, Christian lottery. Yeah. Yeah, you have <laughs> yeah. some connections. You know, it's very sad to say that I have pastored pastors, people that are older than me, people that I should be going to for wisdom. They are asking me that things are very tough for I mean that tough for them can i connect them to a blonde to a white man <laughs> it's like connect me to one and give me a blonde my, yeah, yeah. Sell blanc. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all my problem will be solved you know yeah. so that's really that's really sad if knowing white people would have solved all my problems i'd be in a much better situation <laughs> right now <laughs> man you know what this is this is good stuff man i just feel like people need to hear especially in America, people need to hear from global apostolic leaders, uh, people that are building, people that are kind of like the tip of the spear in the places where God has established them to be um, so they can hear that unique perspective of the difficulties, the challenges. What are some of the rewards and, and some of the things that you feel like, man, this is a blessing in terms of your yes to Jesus has brought like a blessing into your life? Because we always talk about the challenges, but there's also, I think there's just great blessing in, in just that, oh. that yes. So what would you say some of those blessings are as a result of you saying yes to the Lord? My whole life is a blessing coming from that. Because let's say that everything that now I am doing, my understanding, my perspective, you know, just by the, by the fact you say that, you don't see the spirit of poverty in me. It's not something that came just from me. It's something that I can say, my knowing Jesus changed the way I think, changed the way I see things, yeah. and bring me to a level where my life, I laid down for other people, and I'm seeing every day the Lord coming through. Things may be hard personally, 
but it would not last forever. Yeah. God didn't bring me into ministry to, for me to suffer. Yeah. I'm learning, but I'm not suffering. Yep. You know, it's like you are going into and a... And you learn through suffering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like you are going to a competition. The big joy is after you, you, you win. So you forgot about all the pain yeah. that brought you here. Yeah. But if you don't go through that pain, you would never be able to win. Yes. It's either you fail in practice to win in competition or you win in practice and fail in competition. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I prefer to fail in practice and win in competition. Yeah. So my, my whole life I've seen God blessing me. So I can't complain, you know? I know that I joke about ministry, you know? Yeah. But I personally now, there's nothing else that I can do, that I would do yep. to change. I would not change my, my, my lifestyle, yep. you know, my spiritual lifestyle. And I remember that what I was looking for, you know, being, you know, having money, blah, 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 blah. Um, I know my goal was to be a consultant at the age of 40. And you know what? Exactly at the age of 40, I became a consultant yep. for a big time. Lumo, NGO, right? Lumo, yeah, yeah, in Haiti, you know, not just Lumos, you know, others. And uh, um, I've been counted as one of the most ten best, I mean, ten best translator in Haiti. So, and I've seen that, and I know that all of it comes from my connection to Jesus, not my personal, you know. Yeah. Like I would go to places they would never ask me for my diploma, while I don't have one. Yep. I never went to school for English. I never went to school for this, for that. So it's just a blessing, mm. you know? Yeah. So to me personally, when I consider my family, when I consider, you know, the impact that our ministry is doing in the lives of these children in Bouvier, of these people in um, Cavaillon, the level of respect, we are showing the poor that you can be poor, but it doesn't mean that they have to serve you disrespectfully. You know, and to me, this is one thing that really grieved my heart to see that someone is already ashamed. They are already poor, and now you are bringing help to them and you are serving them with disrespectful. You know, I would rather not serve than serve people and make them feel that they are crap, you know. Yep. So, yep. so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the thing. I am happy. I am a, I am a happy minister. And I am happier when I'm doing ministry than I'm doing anything else. Yeah. I may be hungry, waiting for food, and some people come to me to talk. And when, as soon as I start talking, I can go for four hours and forget about the food, you know. <laughs> so it's like Jesus, he was hungry by the well, yeah. and the lady came, and then he told the disciple that I got fed of something that, yeah. you know. So My bread is to do the, the will of him oh, who yeah. sent me. Exactly. Which actually, that's going in the book soon. So, yeah, well, man, thanks for being with us. Thanks for always um, welcoming us with love and hospitality and doing your best to move the mission forward. We love you, appreciate you, and uh, thanks for being with us today. Love you too. So thanks for the opportunity to share my experience and my heart with your audience. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.